Phoenix Metro is a very large area and real estate's all about like real estate nope. is like zip code by zip code by zip code, right? What's happening in Scottsdale is not what's happening in Avenue, right? Nope. And it's just those are different worlds. Nope. And so our little corner of Phoenix is its own thing. Would I go into workforce apartments in Greater Phoenix in general right now? Probably not. They're kind of overbuilt. It's been done. Why am I doing it in Eloy? Because I got 5,000 new jobs coming in. Sid told me about bringing in, right? Yeah. So I know that there's going to be a demand for that by the time we get them entitled ready to go. Our timing works out pretty good. We're looking at, at 20 to 24 months to go through all the entitlements, form a revitalization district, utilities, get the, get the developer and build them out. Right? So that actually works really well. It's good timing. That's not something that I would consider doing in Sydney because that's a saturated market in that part. So again, it's all about micro You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Welcome to another episode of The Azria Show. We're so excited and delighted that you're here with us. and. We love our loyal listeners. So what we want to do today is we want to talk with Steve Matley today. And we have our executive director, Mike Delpreet. Mike is doing well. I'm a soulmate. Thank, thank, thanks for letting everybody know, Marcus. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you're doing well, man. You're writing in the right next, next room. Today we want to talk with Steve. Steve is an educator. He's a business professional, land developer, construction. He has a construction management background. He hailed from San Diego, California. So we're going to get an aspect and he's, what he's doing is he's looking at some emerging markets here in the Phoenix metro area. So the Eloy, Casa Grande, heading all the way down to Tucson. So the under the developed areas. So we're going to be talking about that today, but also we're going to be talking about syndications, raising money, funds, and things of that nature. So Steve, man, welcome to the show. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you, Marcus. Good to see you again, Pete. Awesome, man. All right. All right. So, Steve, kind of give us your background, man, because you got a lot in your bio. Kind of narrow it down for us so the listeners know exactly who they're talking to and why we should be listening to you. Okay. Well, they don't have to listen to me, but I will tell them that, for the record, I look really good on the radio. So, <laughs> so my background, I come out of the construction industry, actually. I was... Uh, general contractor, construction manager for a long time and went from GC to agency construction management where you don't design, build, or engineer a thing. You just, they're the orchestra leader, right? You don't, you don't mm -hmm. do any of the work. You just control, you just run everything. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Yeah. Private development, public agencies, military, university systems, all that kind of stuff. And then ended up working over into my own business. I started the business because I was doing something that did not compete with my employer. And so what I was doing was trying to build up my own personal wealth base, especially towards my, my later years. Right. And I figured, okay, if I can do land stuff, I had a friend of mine that I'd known for years that I'd met when I lived in the Palm desert area before I moved down to San Diego and he did that. And so we talked about, I kind of learned kind of roughly how that works. So I was at that time looking to just build my own personal wealth base. This is like around 2000 or something. And. I was trying to tie land up where I could afford it, which was in the inland Riverside 
county area of Southern California, which is basically commuter time, right? Those are, those are mm-hmm. people that can't afford to buy houses with money. So they buy them with 90 minutes of commuting time into LA right. or County and you can, they're all regional. So I was trying to do that. And I had a few investors that uh, were willing to go along with me on, on a venture, on one of these ventures. So this guy that's now, he's my business partner. I had known him for over 10 years at this time. He called me one day and said, Hey, I've got a, a doctor because I had a back injury surfing and, and I have a, a doctor that's been helping me through this, but he and his buddies want to buy their own medical building using their retirements and then rent it from themselves. Well, I didn't know you couldn't do that with silk or tires back then, but I was just to see him. Right. So I said, I'll talk with them. He said, they need help. They need guidance. So I went and met with them a couple of times that didn't work out because their attorney said, you can't do that. But I asked him, I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm actually trying to tie land up in an area in Riverside County, him at San Jacinto area. I go, I know the area well. He thought I didn't know it. I, I said, yeah, I know the area well. And he goes, yeah, I've got like four properties tied up and I need capital. I said, you know, that's fascinating because I've got capital. I've been trying to tie land up out there and I keep getting beaten out. You're mm-hmm. the guy beating me out because there's nobody else out there. Competing. So <laughs> we found out we were actually competing each other to acquire land. Oh, wow. <laughs> And so then I look and go, okay, you've got land. I've got capital. Sound, duh, right? Let's put this together. So we put together a quick project. And I remember 4th of July, I think, 2000, we met him in Temecula. And we went through plans. We made a bunch of photocopies, local Kinko's back then. Now it's FedEx. And we put together a package and I got three investors to come in. A total, grand total of $90,000. Okay. So not that much. We picked up a 67 lot tentative track map that expired. The city looked at it and said, just update the soils and the environmental, update this map and submit it. We're not going to have any changes on this. We're good to go. So we turned that whole thing around. And this is in California, Mike. We turned the whole thing around in under 10 months, which is unheard of. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so those investors came out of that deal and they all went into another deal with us and we started several other deals and they all rolled over. And they kept rolling with us with their own projects. So over the next, let's see, between then and the end of 2006, we did 40 plus projects together, all in Southern California. Did very well. And until January of 05, when we had a meeting and decided no more new projects, let's finish what we have because they take a while. Some of our projects will take a couple of years. And so we'll take a while. And we sold our last one in November of 06. And then... Mm. Proved through the downturn. That's right. <laughs> through the downturn and lived on what we had made. And that's where I end up accidentally getting into education. I, I teach at colleges and I actually run construction management degree program. Well, I think you said something huge there and you sold everything and you lived off what you made. Because think about it. We've been riding a seller's market for the last decade or so, right? So inevitably at some point, something may change or happen as a downturn. I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. That's very impressive. Like for yeah, any well, advice, any yeah, advice. My, like- my partner moved to Florida and bought a horse range. He still lives on. I said, I moved, my kids grew up. So I, so I ended up shifting over to education by accident. Cause it was a nice, initially just kind of a nice little downturn hobby. And it ends up, it's okay. It doesn't pay well, but it's a lot of fun to do, but it keeps me connected to the business. And we, when we reformed, we went back into uh, doing projects again late 16, early 17. And what, what made you come back into the business? Yeah. What did you see? Well, it's going to sound strange, but the, the market was starting to come up again. And we noticed that, but the primary catalyst, honestly, was the election of Donald Trump. Got and it. here's why. Cool. Cause okay. So it's not a, so much a political thing as here's yeah. my, my view on politics. I have my opinions and stuff. They're irrelevant for the most part, right? It's just me. There's a bunch of everybody else has different ideas, but 
politics is the rules of the game. And no matter who is in charge, no matter what's going on, you have to know the rules of the game if you're going to play the game. So you can bring your hands and yell and scream and cry and cuss and swear, whatever you want to do about it. That's not productive. What's productive is understand this is where we are. This is who's making the rules. This is the rules they're likely to make and what they're going to want to enforce. Let's play that game. Because if you're playing lacrosse while everybody else is playing baseball, you're not going to, you're not going to get ahead, right? You, so you've got to know what's going on. And, and the reason was Donald Trump's, what was Donald Trump before he was a politician? Yeah. He was a land developer. developer. Yeah. He was a land yep. developer. So you think, gee, I wonder what kind of laws might get enacted, <laughs> right? Because he knows he's only going to be there for eight years at the most, right? So you yep. know that. He's, that's a family business. Do you think that maybe some of what the EPA is doing, do you think some of the land regulation, you think some of those might get relaxed, set things up a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think interest rates, all the stuff, we're going, this seems like the time to jump in awesome. because one yeah. of us is in the White House. You know, and whether you like the personality or not is irrelevant. The fact is, he's a real estate investor guy. Right. And it, looking back, have you noticed that? Like, Oh, it, boom yeah. time. What, what did real estate do? Right? Yeah, of course. Do you look yeah. between what did real estate do, right? Yeah. And so it, it was a good call. Was it entirely up to him? Probably not. What, did he have a big influence on it? Absolutely. Because we saw when the election shifted, we've seen a different trend, right? Is that surprising? Is that, a, is that because it's an evil person in there? No, it's because he has a different, a different perspective, a different group of constituents he's trying to please, a different philosophy of life, right? That, that's why we have elections, to get different people, different ideas in there, right? So you just, you have to understand the rules of the game. And that's, that's why, that's the main reason we went back into new projects. And we're obviously Biden's not stopping us from doing other new projects. We just shifted what. So in 16 to keep going, like, where did you guys, what'd you guys jump into and where'd you start? Well, initially we went back where we started, where we had left off, which was in inland, inland Southern California, which is still growing. And I will say this, California is probably still the most lucrative market for real estate, but because of shifts and remember who's in the white house doesn't affect what's going on in a state all the time. Right. Right. Okay. Especially when you have a state that's 180 degrees opposite of what's going on in Washington, right? Which California was. Mm -hmm. So California continued with their policies. And again, you can argue all day long, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. But the fact is that they're very antithetical to real estate investing and growth and, and new home sales, which is why there's a shortage, right? It's just what it is. So despite the talk, there's most policies are set up to prevent the construction of new homes and affordable housing, even though they say that's what they want. So their solution to affordable housing is throw an ADU in the back of every yard, right? But don't, uh, mm -hmm. oh, whatever. Okay. So that works. But I know a lot of investors that have done really well because that's not what we do, but I know a lot of them have done very well because of that. So California is still a lucrative market, but it just takes a long time. The rules changed in the middle of the game. Every time the legislature gets together, the governor opens his mouth, a judge makes a ruling, your friends and neighbors go to the polls and pass a referendum, the rules changed on you. And because it takes so long to get through the process, it's likely to change on you in the middle of the game. So how do you and prepare for that? Experience I that. Know. How do you? Well, you really, so that's why I'm selling my last California project right now. There, you sell everything again, in California. Okay. It's super <laughs> lucrative. Okay. We're yeah. selling, we're selling the lots at a little over double what we had originally performed with them for. However, the time frame is so far out that the annualized return is actually going to be lower because of the time issue. And, and okay, now I will say this, there was a pandemic in there too. But that was one issue that should have been recoverable with, you know, mm -hmm. right now, right? But 
a lot of other, a lot of other things that went on. And remember, California is, is really sold out to the, to the climate policy thing, which is, again, is that a good thing? Probably. But is affordable housing a good thing? Yes. So you have two different goals that are opposite of each other. You cannot have active and aggressive climate change policy and have affordable housing currently because they're opposite agendas. It's just what it is. Wow. Aren't they going to have like no, no more gasoline cars pretty soon? Well, they, they, they passed that by the 2035, get rid of all the internal combustion engine vehicles. And the wow. day, the week after, one, I don't know, two or three days after Newsom made that ruling, he all, he made the following next ruling was you cannot charge your cars in the middle of the day because we're out of electricity. Seriously, <laughs> they, they had a power shortage and they told you, do not charge your cars in the middle. Wow. So they go, okay, so there's a disconnect there. So that's, yeah. that's where I look at and scratch my head and say, maybe what you should have done instead of making that mandate is said, we're mandating, we will have electric charging stations, no more than a quarter mile apart, all up and down the right. state in every area so that people will, well, kind of like with Europe, right? Europe put the infrastructure in first and then people said, I think I'll drive electric because it seemed to make more sense to me instead of trying to mandate and force people into something and not providing the infrastructure right. where now, I, I don't know where my charging stations are. I, I live, and they also want you to live in an urban environment. So you live in an urban environment in a building that has no plugins in the garage. And you're supposed to drive an electric vehicle. So now you've got to block out 45 minutes to an hour and a half of your day somewhere to charge your car before you go home. So it's ready for the next day. But there's no real infrastructure. I've seen the Tesla stations mm -hmm. and they're always full with a line. There's always people waiting. Oh, yeah. I was just at one, yeah. not this weekend, the previous weekend up in, I want to say Redondo, Manhattan Beach area in LA. And I was outside of a Hilton hotel there and there's a charging in the parking lot. And that thing was busy, packed all day long with always a few Teslas in the queue waiting to get in. And yeah. of course, the people sitting in there reading books or wherever, right? That kind of stuff. There's really no place to go there. There's the hotel and there's like a little chili burger place across the street and there's nothing else. So they're just sitting there chilling time. And I'm thinking I, I can swing into any number of a gas stations within three blocks of here, fill up in five minutes and be out. So, yeah, you know, with the, with the infrastructure in. Yeah. You know what? That was, that was a problem that was identified, right? And I was, I was just looking at this a couple of months ago. There was a young business professional. He solved this problem in California and he created a business around mobile, like mobile charging stations for test so you can download the app and they'll come to you and charge up your your tesla so almost like a tow truck so they'll just come to you so kind of like the mobile uh, like the mobile detail services and that kind of stuff exactly yeah exactly awesome. yeah yeah so so tell us steve you came from california right did everything over there why did you come to arizona and decide to go into the emerging markets over here in arizona well, okay. So a few reasons. One, as I said, California got really difficult to work in. It's it just a lot of brain damage. Then again, I still live here. I like living here. The weather's great. Mm -hmm. but it's tough to do the projects. Arizona's a natural because it's next door. And so here's, here's our market plan. Our marketing plan is where are all the Californians running? Because there's a lot of them. And when the Californians well, run to a place, it's a growing market, as yeah. Phoenix knows. Phoenix mm -hmm. has exploded. What is the percent of Phoenix explosion? that is Californians that have migrated. Probably much higher than you wish, right? Yeah. I, I'm sure most, a lot of people in Phoenix would wish somebody put a wall up between California and Arizona. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, even with that, a lot has changed here. We're always a solid red state and now we're purple, right? Because Californians, they bring their bad ideas. With them. 
right? California didn't become California because it just happened. People have their ideas. And most people do not realize that when they're part of the problem, if they leave and go somewhere else, they still part of the problem. Still part of the problem, right? Yeah. And, and they, they never connected the dots. And so I always tell people, it's like, you poop in your pool. The solution isn't to go find another pool to go poop in next. It's to clean your pool up first, right? So that's you. what they do. And California is like a little Petri dish that breeds these really not very good public policy ideas. And, but there's an arrogance that goes with that, right? And then you move into places like Arizona, Colorado, Texas, other places, and you kind of pollute those environments, right? With those ideas. Now, does that mean that everybody that votes blue is an evil person? No, because there's a whole bunch of facets to that, right? There's more than just real estate and economic policy. I get that. Social issues and all that stuff. So yeah, you got to take the whole thing as a, a set. But if your if your problem is you don't like the the policies around you and you're the person that voted for those policies directly through referendums or indirectly through representatives or even more indirectly through representatives that appointed judges and this is what you end up with then you that the solution isn't to get up and move to someone else's place and say they believe the opposite of what I believe and I like their place better so I'm going to move in there and bring my enforce my ideas on them right that's not a good plan right. So embrace it. I, I always think, why don't you stay here in California and let's undo the parts that we did that were wrong and let's keep the parts we did that were right. Yeah. What California did, the L LA air is much cleaner than it was when I was a kid. That's something they did right. Mm -hmm. You can mm -hmm. actually breathe up there now. <laughs> so, so, so come in. So we moved into Arizona because it was easier to work in, right? Okay. And again, emerging okay. market. Emerging market. Phoenix is still the fastest growing metropolitan area in the country. It has been for quite a while. It just doesn't seem to want to stop. And now I don't care what people say about water or anything else. It's not stopping, right? So right. so Phoenix was a natural. It's also close proximity. I mean, I, I can fly to Phoenix in 45 minutes. I can drive to Phoenix in about six, five minutes, right, to where I'm going. Yeah, I'm on the far end. I'm on the far southeast end. So we found the west end where we had been doing stuff 20 years ago was pretty much sold out, done, spoken for. You're not going to get much in there unless you're doing infill. So we, we like larger places and we like the emerging markets. So we ended up going into the Southeast. I like Casa Grande a lot, but they have some water. They're, they don't have a lot of water to share. Anymore. We found the city of Eloy to be one that was kind of looked over. We went into Eloy and said, this is, so So we were doing a, a project here in a city called San Jacinto in California. And we looked in there and said, this is San Jacinto circa night. Hmm. Nobody's discovered it. It, it's Ooh. it's going to explode and it's got neighboring cities that are growing. They're going to force that. We watched what was going Casa Grande exploding. Coolidge has been growing. There's right. the Lucid plant. There's the Nikola plant. Both of those are demanding. And then the city of Eloy, to their credit, they, they kind of shifted to a very pro-growth standpoint. I think they kind of watched what was going on and realized that they were caught sleeping. And so they went out and they, they brought in a U.S. gypsum plant. They're bringing in Campbell in. They're all aggressively finding more large employers. And it's a chicken and egg thing. When we go into market, we look and say, okay, if we put houses, apartments, whatever here, where are the jobs? On the other hand, the large employers come in and they look at an area and say, if we were to build a plant here, where do the people live? Right. So you need the housing for the workers, but you need the jobs for the housing. And both of them have to happen first. So you got a chicken and egg situation going on there, right? And so we were doing mostly, we, we went in there, we were going to do, we did some entry-level housing stuff. 
sold that off. And then we were going to do, and we're still going to uh, build to rent 55 plus product. And the city loved our concept. They loved the plan. Uh, but they said, what do you have for workforce housing? And we kind of said, well, nothing. We didn't know there was a need for that. No offense, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they said, no. And they told us what their plan was and what they were doing. And we're like, oh. So they're saying, okay, there's about 5,000 new jobs coming in here in the next 18 four months based on these employers bringing in the expansion of the EVs and the other plants yeah. coming in and we're trying to get more. The biggest concern in, when, when they talk to them is where would our workers live? Because if you're going to move into an area and build a plant and you're going to employ a few thousand people, you don't want to pay all of them bonuses because they have to commute several minutes across the desert, right? And, and the other thing about that corner is it's a little bit isolated, which is probably why it didn't grow at the same pace the rest of Phoenix did yet, but it's kind of the only place left now because you've, you're isolated on the west and to the north by reservations, right? Indi Indian. No. And so... So because of that, you're separated from what's due north, Chandler and Gilbert, and you're separated from what's due west. So it kind of creates a little slightly somewhat isolated area out there. Uh, you got that, what, 10, 12 minutes of no man's land to drive through to get from civilization back to civilization. The one thing we like about that also, it's almost half, halfway between Tucson and Phoenix at that point. You're mm -hmm. still Phoenix Metro because Phoenix is so large and sprawled out, but you are as equal distance into Tucson, which is growing as well. It's growing very fast and it's pushing west while Phoenix is pushing west. Well, Phoenix is pushing every direction. They're getting hemmed in by the mountain north. They're getting hemmed in by the border to the south and all the Indian reservations. And there's a lot of BLM land and that kind of stuff that, that restricts the growth. And it is pushing west down the 10. I think it's getting out towards Totopah now, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of pushing all the way out there, which used to be in the Thule's, that was nowhere land out there. And it was, you were still a long haul to get into civilization. Yeah. Now it's just on the outskirts. And we're seeing that then we're on the Southeast end. We're seeing that too. We've seen a lot of growth in that area. So that's why we're in Phoenix. We also moved into the Texas and Florida as well. But again, we go where the Californians are. So what are you doing in Eloy? Several projects. So the first thing we did was we did 106 acres, about 285 home sites that were single family. But remember, we, we went in there several years back, a little over a year ago, when things shifted, the interest rates changed, we shifted outcomes of our projects. Mm -hmm. The reason being, uh, land is a blank slate. Once you're building, have a building and you have a building, and there's some things you can do to retrofit it, but basically you've got that kind of a building. Land, you kind of have more of an empty canvas. So we shifted again to 55 plus projects for multiple projects we were doing okay. in the States. Because when you have Californians that are moving into states, they're selling houses for a million and a half that they bought for $350,000. They don't care about right. cash, right? So we were also building build to rent senior housing, which is really for seniors that, that w won't have the down payment to buy a house. Mm -hmm. these, these are probably, these are probably seniors that didn't own real estate where they came. And so they didn't have that big appreciation. So they're living on their pensions or whatever. And so it's built to rent and they were an affordable rate, basically entry level by rental rates. And we even designed them with dual master suites so that two single seniors could share a place and cut their rent even further. Like and that. we looked at it as we, we developed this concept one, because we felt there needed to be a very humane way to house seniors that did not have money, could not afford, or didn't want the Delaware bloods. Two, we saw the COVID prisons. That, that occurred, all those senior homes that became prisons. Mm -hmm. 
right? You couldn't see your family. You were locked in. Right. You got a little 250 square foot of room that was supposed to be mitigated by the common areas that you're not allowed to access. You can't go out and get fresh air or anything like that stuff. What a horrible thing. So this provides them a place where it's affordable, it's rentable, and that's obviously for independent living, but they have their own four walls and their family can visit. They can quarantine in their own house if they want, and they can still go on the porch and breathe, right? Yeah. They, they, can, they can step out and, and, and into the yard. And that was our idea. So it's park-like setting. So we did that. And then we got into the workforce apartments because the city asked, asked us, what, what do you have for workforce? And we said, well, if the idea is to have the maximum number of workforce units that we can in order to help you, your economic development department, impress potential large employers, then apartments are the way to do that. Um, there's already houses being built by some other people, centuries down there and some other companies. So let's, let's look at apartments. And so they said, yeah, that's a good idea. And, and we figured that's also most people moving in for the job specifically are probably transitory, which is going to go into the right. apartment. And they're going to live there for one or two years until they buy a house. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a, that's a good thing for them to have. So we were looking at garden style part. So we have two of those going on just North of downtown. And if, of course you, you've been out there, I assume mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. drive a little main street. It kind of looks like that town from the movie cars, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. forgotten sort of thing. Right. But that's, what's on the surface, but underneath there's a lot of stuff going through the process, not just by us. There's a lot of people out there. When I say commercial, I mean the job creators. Yeah. Manufacturing. Okay. So what are you um, seeing in the next couple of years happening in Eloy? Well, assuming that those, all those manufacturers come online, like they're planned and they should be, I say gypsum, the U.S. gypsum is already under construction. Dr. Gamble's the ground pretty soon here. And I've seen both the EV plants expansions. I've seen them, what's going on. So those jobs will come in. That'll create that base. Well, what happens when you get the workforce in, they're going to be in the apartments. And then before too long, they're going to be eyeballing because they have good paying jobs. They're going to be eyeballing buying. And that's going to put pressure on the entry-level houses as well. And so then, and and I I think that's going to encourage more larger developers to come out. We saw this in Marion County, Florida as well. Ocala, we saw the same thing happen where six, seven years ago, Ocala was a bedroom community where everybody commuted out to Orlando, Gainesville, Fort Lauderdale work. Now, uh, 65% of their workforce commutes in because employers have come in, large distribution centers uh, have come in and they don't have enough local housing to house them. So people are commuting into those jobs. Those are good paying kind of higher and blue collar jobs, right? So, and they pay very well. And Ocala, that that happened because somebody did the math and figured out it was almost halfway between Miami and Atlanta. And they looked at what you, where you could reach in a 10 hour drive. 10 hours is the magic number, right? Because mm-hmm. driving time. And you could get all the way to Mississippi or up into uh, North Carolina, right? And so they looked and said, okay, this is a good distribution hub and we can get all the way down into the South Florida, into Miami and Tampa and all that area. So somebody did that math and a lot of, a lot of new centers came in, which brought a lot of new jobs. And we kind of see that as the potential in Elo. Plus so, you have the new freeways coming in. So a question, because yeah. it's always seems like through the years, like even through the last boom, it was always like the rumor was Phoenix and Tucson are going to connect one day, right? They're, I guess they have- they a- will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I've been hearing this for 30 years ago. So, so, but like, <laughs> I think there's a, a train system now running from Phoenix to, to Tucson of some sort or is being, pro- or proposed. being proposed. Yeah. Yep. Looking at building it in. Yeah. But so, so that's what I say. So like Casa Grande is always was supposed to blow up. Right. 
And it has to some degree, not to a self potential yet. Yeah. 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 So I was wondering, so do you, so do you see more, more positive signs in Eloy than we've all heard from Casa Grande over the years? Well, say Casa Grande is still in a good position. It's just that they don't have enough water. They kind of went through their water um, designation, right? So that means they have to shift. They have to shift what they're doing because there are certain ways, different products require water assurance and some don't. Mm-hmm. All right. So like apartment buildings, you don't have to provide a water assurance for that. Which is weird. Like that's just rules, right? Again, mm-hmm. know the rules, play the game by the rules, right? Right. That's why we were looking at build to rent as opposed to build to sale. Rules are. What would you have for for like the average Ezria member, right? So, so you're developing big projects, right? So so the average newer investor or seasoned investor that has a handful of rental properties and stuff. What are what are some pieces of advice you can give someone while going into Eloy? So it would depend on uh, how active and how passive they want to be is one thing. And then what, what level of money they want. And of course their risk tolerance. So everything's all just, that's the caveat up front. One of the easiest ways is to get in with groups like us, not necessarily us, but other people like us doing the similar things where you can, with as little as $25,000, get into a syndication that's doing projects, right? So you don't have to then know everything about the area. You don't have to be the expert, your partner. I'm a big fan of the money partners with the expertise. Yeah, and both right. win, right? Both win. Now the expertise brings some money to the table and the people with the money learn some expertise through the process and they get more savvy each round they go through, right? And that, that's a good thing. So there's one. Number two, you look at, okay, so if this is what's happening, large employers are coming in, what would I put in that would take advantage of that, knowing that there's supposed to be 5,000 new jobs coming in the next 18 months? And they're primarily, well, there's going to be obviously some administrator jobs and there's going to be mostly the, the worker jobs, right? The mm-hmm. drivers, forklift operators, whatever, that kind of stuff, which are kind of high paid blue collar. So I, I would look at, okay, what do I have that would service them? That where would, where do they want to live? Again, we're doing apartments. Maybe a smaller investor can do a small multi-unit for, for or less type multi-unit. That's still available because that's still a residential mortgage. It doesn't get in. It's not commercial. So I can do that. I can do, I can buy an older house that's out there. There's houses out there right now that are fairly affordable still Yeah. before it picks up. Because people look at it and go, why would you live here? Because they don't know what's going on behind this curtain, right? So you pick that up and I can fix that. And then I can probably build ADU or even a duplex in the back or something like that where I have rental rentals in the back now, because a lot of them are larger lots out there. Right. So I can do that. Um, I I think there's, there's things you can do to get ready for what's coming down the pipe and start building up a little portfolio. Now, does that mean, again, we're talking 18 to 24 months off. Does that mean you're going to get in and with your hard money loan, have a renter in there in less than six months? Probably not. Yeah. You gotta gotta look at the timing, right? So is there maybe an opportunity? If you are a real estate investor who doesn't have the W-2 you have to commute to, might you buy something out there, live in that thing for a year or so and start collecting things around you that maybe even, I don't know, Airbnbs work very well out there, but they probably do say if you're closer to Robes and Ranch or something, mm-hmm. possibly, uh, there's, or closer to Casa Grande. You don't have to be in Eloy itself. You can be in Casa Grande. You can be in Coolidge, right? Yeah. There's other areas. So, so all that's very drivable from the same area. So start looking around and find out what can I buy? Is there for very little money, can I buy an empty space, an empty lot and camp on it? Just, just sit on it. And then as things come about, then I've already got the land and they'll have to do is build on. That's a good idea. 
Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Some great options for those that's looking to get in. Yeah, but I'm talking about those small, yeah, small investors that tend to come to the RIAs. Mm -hmm. I think that that may be, and people can do that even through their self-directed IRAs maybe. You can't, you can't live in the place if it's your self-directed IRA, but you can certainly use it as investment. Yeah, there's probably a lot right. of people that have these infill, you know, no, no, what, oh my God. We, so we have an experienced investors like meeting at a wine bar, gentleman came through and he was literally, it's funny. He was trying to, he just locked up an infill lot, 10,000 square foot lot for five grand. There you go. Yeah. He was trying to sell Those, it for 10. And you know what's even better is if you can find that infill lot and you find out that it's zoned to split. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause now you got two lots, right? So it's a, it's a relatively easy, if you're not doing a subdivision map, you're doing a small thing. That's an over the counter deal. Yeah. File man. a paper, pay a fee and split that thing into a couple of different parcels. And then you have the ability to, you build on both sides of that and you can keep them both, sell one off, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if you got a little money stash, like you said, the IRA and yeah. How about using your VA benefits? Cause a dollar down, if you want to live in the place for a year. Yeah. And so you buy, you were going to buy a little track house, but instead you bought one of these older things, may not be as nice as the new modern ones, but it's on an acre of land that's subdividable. Love so it. I live in that and, and my VA, after a year, I may be alone requirements are fulfilled, right? And I can go do it again. That's true. Yeah. Love yeah. it, man. Cool. Good ideas. So, yeah. Good options out there. Good options out there. So, so what do you see? Oh yeah. Mark, go ahead, Mike. No, no. I was going to say, what are you, what are you doing next, Steve? So I know you got you know, working at Eloy, Custom Grind. What are you, what are you seeing next as far as the market here in Phoenix Metro? Well, so Phoenix Metro is a very large area and real estate's all about micro. Mm -hmm. Real estate yeah. is like zip code by zip code by zip code, right? What's happening in Scottsdale is not what's happening in Avondale, right? Yeah. And it's just, those are different worlds. And, yeah. and so. Our little corner of Phoenix is its own thing. Would I go into a workforce apartments in greater Phoenix in general right now? Probably not. They're kind of overbuilt. It's been done. Why am I doing it in Eloy? Because I got 5,000 new jobs coming in that the city told me about them mm -hmm. bringing in, right? Yeah. So I know that there's going to be a demand for that by the time we get them entitled and ready to go. Our timing works out pretty good. We're looking at, at 20 to 24 months to go through all the entitlements, form a revitalization district utilities, get the, get the developer and build them out. Right. So that actually works really well. That's good timing. That's not something that I would consider doing in say good year because right. that's a, that's a, a saturated market in that part of the unit. So again, it's all about micro markets where you are. We still like our 55 plus build direct communities. The, the, the retiring population is growing every day. It's a, it's a very big group, that boomer group. Now they're retiring later. And part of the reason they're retiring later is because uh, the same reason why a lot of them aren't really prepared for retirement. This is the generation that wasn't going to get old, right? Remember the songs, yeah. hope I die before I get old, that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. This was the generation that was always the younger generation, right? They were still the younger generation in their fifties, right? So that's just who they are and their personality. They're the ones, fortunately, they also brought us personal fitness and those kind of things as part of that healthy eating, right? All that kind of stuff that came through all that. So we're the beneficiaries of that, but. Because of that, there's a lot of them retiring out. They're retiring out a little bit later. And a lot of them aren't really prepared for retirement. Because if in your, if somewhere in your mindset, you're not ever really going to get old, why would you be thinking about repairing? Even though logically, right. you know, you should somewhere in the back of your mind. Well, that's not me. That, that's some, those are old mm -hmm. people, right? I'm, I'm not there yet. Right. And so you end up with some that aren't really ready. And that's why we're looking at the build to rent affordable, not affordable, entry level. 
build your rent. Single family homes for seniors as a, as a unique, different kind of product. Like it. And so we, we still like that very much. We're also, I'm, I'm in another part of Arizona, I'm doing a uh, 55 plus RV. So you buy your lot and your vacation home, you drive up there or you, you put a park model in place, right? And it's your space. So it's like an HOA deal, but that's your vacation home. Instead of having to build a mountain cabin somewhere or something else. And who's that to? Well, that's a different set of seniors. Those are seniors that live in their house in a Del Webb or a rope center, someplace like that or wherever. And they don't really want to hang out during the summer months. Because as you know, in your neck of the woods, when it's summertime, it's not really all that pleasant outside, right? So you want to go somewhere where it's cooler. So you, for, so for the same money that you could blow in two weeks in San Diego, Orange County, California, you can go spend the entire summer up in, up in Navajo County, right? Up in the mountains. And so, so we're doing that up there fairly large for that again, because that's a growing demographic with a need. So we how go big, where the market study tells us. How's that? How big is that project? How many RV pads and everything? You guys so I've got basically there's four projects in the whole deal. We have, it's 307 acres. We've got 350 RV, 55 plus RV sites mm -hmm. with a commercial strip attached to it on the main road. Then there's another commercial strip on the opposite side of the road that we'll probably just keep. There is those build rent senior homes. Mm -hmm. There's a complex of those going in into that in a smaller area. And then we have another area in there that's going to be more of the individual lots or not necessarily age restricted. And we looked at that because that particular area is a county seat. There's a large medical center. There are government offices for the county, for the state, and even for the Bureau of Indian Affairs and Forest Service that area. So there's government workers and there's the medical workers up in that area that service that. And, and their options tend to be go buy the five acre piece and stick a single white on it, yeah. right? Or something like that. And so it's to give them an option of living in a more neighborhoodish kind of a place without a lot of land to take care of and stuff and still have a home. They can put the money into the home instead of the land and be in kind of more of a neighborhoodish, kind of, and even so though they're up in the what, what struck you to go to that area you're looking in for you going from Eloy to is it Sholo yeah. or what what's yeah and so the, so it's it's a little out of so we I say emerging yeah. markets I wouldn't consider Sholo an emerging market yeah that's what I was thinking it's, of a, like, it's a resort little but here here's what happened we, the I mentioned we did a, a leather project in Eloy that the seller of that land owned this land got it and it's one of those things where an opportunity comes up you wouldn't have normally considered but it solves someone else's problem and gives you a great opportunity that actually can work. And it's actually one of the better projects we put together. And so it's funny because when we went up there, my partner kind of tied the whole thing up and he did a good acquisition deal. That's another thing. It's a very good acquisition structure on it. But again, we knew the seller and we had a relationship with the seller. So my partner worked that out with him. And then he took me up there and showed me around. And my first, it was supposed to be all half acre, one acre lots. And my first inclination was, I'm not doing this. And he said, and he was kind of disappointed. He goes, but I got a great deal. I said, yeah, you got one of the best acquisition deals we've ever had. Unfortunately, if we did half acre, one acre lots, we wouldn't see the the finish of this thing until our grandkids. I just don't see that absorption happening for 500 some odd half acre, one acre lots. You drove around and saw a bunch of them out there that weren't built on. Nobody was buying them. I mean, that's not what we need. But as we were going through, I said, what's up with all these RV places out here? They're everywhere. And he goes, well, they People from Tucson and Scottsdale and Phoenix come up here in the summertime and spend the summer. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's check it out. So we went in, we talked to people, and we went to several of them. And it, the level of amenitization didn't seem to make a difference. I mean, we went to one that was 
gravel, a concrete slab, a picnic bench, and some utility hookups, and that's it. I mean, there is no, no amenities whatsoever. That was it. And we went to others. We went to one, another one that had pickleball courts and a clubhouse and pools and all kinds of stuff, all pitch and putt golf course, everything, right? It's got the whole deal. It didn't matter. All of them were full with like a waiting list going on like a year. Wow. Whether they were rentals or sales. I'm going, okay, it sounds to me like that looks like where the market is, but I don't like to do things on anecdotal evidence. So we did commission a market study. And the market study came back and said that would in fact be the highest. So the majority of that property is in fact that 55 plus artists. Uh, is it a commission market study? Yeah, so we, we, don't, we, we commissioned, our, we, we hired someone to do a market study. So we hired okay. and said, here's, here's our piece of land. Here's where we're doing it. Tell us what you think is the highest and best use of anything you do. And they came back and said, honestly, a 55 plus RV is the way to go. Like it. That's great. Yeah. Man. And we said, okay, so that sounds like that's good validation, right? Right. Everybody likes to be validated. Love it, mm -hmm. man. Well, shoot, man. Well, there's a, I mean, I feel like we can keep talking for another yeah. four hours. <laughs> yeah. You got a lot in that brain. I'm happy to. <laughs> yeah. We, we're, we're at that above 40 minute mark. We usually wind down at this point. So. Yeah, maybe we could have you on again or something. Sure. So, Always uh, plenty to talk about. Yeah, I mean, how do we get in touch with you? How do, any final party so words? My company know? website is, so my company's Coast to Coast Equities. We're a, a Florida-based C corporation, even though two of the three partners live in California for now. I know I can't retire here, but I'm enjoying it while I can. Every day I look outside, I'm like, I just, I, it's, well, I got to be here at least one more day, right? It's just, yeah. <laughs> I, what nice weather, right? I always tell people my relationship, because I live in San Diego. If I lived in, you know, Barstow, it'd be a different. Okay. I live here in San Diego, which is almost perfect, right? And mm -hmm. I tell people, because of that, my relationship with California is like being in a relationship with a high-maintenance, spoiled, rotten, completely abusive woman who is so beautiful, you can't get yourself to leave. You know you should. <laughs> you just can't get yourself to do it, right? Yeah. So I put up with the taxes and the regulations and all the funny laws and those kind of things. Tell you what to drive, tell you you can't have a grocery bag, tell you how to separate your trash, all the things. <laughs> it's coming your direction, by the way, just so you know. So yeah, so Coast to Coast Equities, it's coast-the-number-two-coast.com, coast-to-coast.com. And you can find stuff. Now, I will say it's a little bit outdated because I'm really bad as a webmaster, but the basic information is you can find out who my partners and I are and some of the stuff we're doing. My email is the same, it's just smatley, S-M-A-T-L-E-Y at coast-2coast.com. You're welcome to email me and, and ask for information. Always happy to talk. I, I do speak at some of the uh, REIs. I'm actually speaking this this weekend at an event in San Diego called Fire Up uh, Live. Cool. I'm speaking on what I do. I'm speaking on why we do what we do, the land stuff. Thanks. And I'm doing a real estate mastermind on the Sunday. That would be so they can catch me on those. And I will say also, I want KCAA radio, which is out of LA area. This Thursday at three o'clock, actually, you know, who's on the episode? Who's that? Certain, Mike Delpreet is on Ooh, this radio show. <laughs> and we're going to talk, we're going to hear his side of the story because I interviewed him on my show. So check that out at 3 p.m. Uh, KCAAradio.com. You can catch that uh, live broadcast or to be archived. And after that airs, it'll go up onto Roku, Amazon Fire, and Android on the Building Solid Foundation's channel. Great. And the awesome. Excellent. So yeah, so that's how people can find me and what I'm doing if, if they have any interest in it. Love it, man. Yeah, okay. wealth of knowledge, well, man. I got, I got a whole page of notes here. Just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, good, because there's going to be a test. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's going to be an exam. So. Love it, man. Yes, there you go. So 
Yeah, man, Steve, thanks for being here, man. Everyone, you got his information, reach out to him. Yeah. Marcus, you want to wrap it up? Anything you want to say? Yeah, yeah. So, guys, you know exactly what to do. You know how to reach out to Steve, and you know how to get in contact with me and Mike. Always go to asreal.org for any information regarding our real estate right here in the great state of Arizona. We cover north, south, east, and west, so we definitely have you covered. So feel free. To let us know exactly what you're working on. You can email us, you can reach out to us, but most importantly, come to the one of the dozens of events that we hold every month here at Azria. So again, go to azria.org forward slash calendar. If you're looking for a specific real estate mix that you want to get into right here in Arizona, we definitely have classes for you. So feel free to give us a five-star review on the podcast. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know how Steve did. That way we can bring the content to you that you really, really need. Push your investment career down the road. So with that being said, I'm Marcus Maloney. Thank you, Steve, for being here. Great episode. Thank you, Mike, for always being an excellent executive director. With that being said, guys, we are signing off. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.